0: So we're in a series called Bold, and um, we've been in this for a couple weeks, three weeks now. And so we're looking at uh, different characters as we walk through uh, this, this particular series. And, and one of the things that has challenged me is in, in life and challenges me all the time is that idea or the, the time when I become complacent or the time in life where I become a little uh, timid and one of the things that we know, or that if we don't know, the one things that I can tell you about Scripture or about our God is He does not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and strength. And because of that, um, we're we're walking into a, a season where it could be very much a season where we become complacent, and a season where we kind of sit back and just kind of wait for God to do some things, and um, or or we just kind of just sit there. And one of the things that I, I cannot in my own life, I struggle with is these moments of just sitting there um, and not knowing what that next thing is. And so I've been wrestling with this in my own life of, of what does it mean to be bold. And for the past three weeks, we've looked at one. For week one, we looked at uh, Moses' mother and how she went through all these things. And the first one thing that we learned in week one is that uh, God is we're not allowed to give up when we're walking in our faith is, let's just take that option off the table. And when we take that op- option off the table, giving up uh, doesn't, it's does, uh, not allowed in, in God's economy. So we continue. How many, it doesn't matter how many times we fall down or what our obstacles are, we continue to move forward and continue to follow after Jesus. Second week, we talk about being bold enough to listen. And uh, we look heavily at the people we allow to speak into our lives. And when we have the right people speaking into our lives, then it becomes very easy for us to listen, and we can be bold in that listening. And then last week, uh, we talked about that inner voice that tells us to go ahead and be complacent, go ahead and quit, go ahead and give up. We talked about that inner coward piece that tells us not to stand up in, in, in all of it. And so last week, we talked about being bold enough to silence the inner coward as we looked at the life of Gideon. This week we're going to look at a a guy by the name of David, and this is a very familiar story in the Bible, and if you're not familiar with it, I'll share it with you today, and it's this, and if you want to go to your Bible, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 24. and just to give you an idea of what's taken place before this, is that there is a, a, um, Israel has a, anointed their own king and, and kind of asked their own guy to be king, and his name was Saul. And Saul was king, and they, the, what, the, way it looked at, or the way they looked at it was this, was because Saul was tall in stature and he was a, a handsome guy and he was kind of a big guy, they went after appearance rather than heart. And it's very common for us to go after well, the way something appears or the way someone appears and think, oh, God's hand must be on them, and yet God is very clear about this. He's not interested in appearance. He's interested in our heart, but Israel said, "Hey, this is the king we want. We want Saul." And so Saul started making some poor decisions. It started becoming all about him because again, his heart wasn't right. So in this piece, we are in this story, and uh, as we walk through it, we see that Saul made a series of bad choices to where David said, or where God said, "You know what? My hand is no longer on Saul, and I want a new king anointed." And so they actually went and sent took Samuel to go and anoint David. And David was the youngest in his family. David was a shepherd. He was um, someone that no one would consider someone that could be a king. Again, God's not interested in outward appearance. He's interested in our heart. So they anointed Samuel was anointed or Samuel anointed David as king, but he didn't become king right away. It's very interesting. There's about a 15-year period between the time that David was anointed. Excuse me, all the scholars say this, just to be clear. About a 15-year period between the time David was anointed and the time he actually became king. Not only that, he wasn't actually king of all of Israel. He was only king of part of Israel. It wasn't until 20 years later that the whole kingdom of Israel was joined together. And, and that's when he became king of Israel. So we have this image going on that there was a season of waiting with David. During the season of waiting, he would go and he would be one that would go and fight for King Saul. And he would win battles and he would be faithful in fighting and he would continue to do the very things that, that he was supposed to be doing. And one of the biggest battles that he fought was uh, against Goliath. And it's a very well-known story that he went and he took out Goliath and big dude and said, hey, you Philistine, you're not going to insult my God. And so went and took care of Goliath. But many others that came away, that the people started saying, hey, look at all that David's doing compared to what Saul's done. And then one of the the songs they would sing, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. But one of the songs they would sing is, look, David's killed his 10,000 and Saul his thousands. And so they would even compare. And so within Saul's heart, there was a jealousy that started taking place. Again, God cares more about our heart than our appearance. And within Saul's heart, jealousy started uh, raging. And so he started going after David and finding different ways to, to try to take out David. And he would chase David around and David would confront him and be like, what are you doing? I'm faithful to you. I'm serving you. And it would turn Saul's heart for a little bit. One of the things that David was well known for was whenever Saul, would his, he would be in a moment. And in modern day world, we probably say he was having a mental health moment. And so one of the things that, uh, that would happen was is they would bring David in and he would play his harp for Saul. And it helped calm Saul's heart, helped steady him. And one of the times he was playing the harp, Saul decided, I'm going to pin him with uh, my javelin up against the wall. And so he did. David was able to escape. But there was one time that uh, uh, Saul was pursuing David. And he went to this place called En Gedi. And I actually got a picture for you. Actually, let's go to the map first, David. Sorry the map the one I sent you in the text <laughs> oh did we not get that sweet okay so just so you know you can go home and look at a map later I got one on my phone I can show you um, this is engetty and you see right here where the green trees are going up into this valley that's where that's where En-Gedi happened that's where that place is and within and this place and just so you know the very hilly Um, and there was some uh, what would happen was David would go here and he would he was hiding from Saul in this particular places and you see the mountain ranges and there's caves within this mountain range and one of the places that that David went and hid was in one of these caves and so we also see that in this scripture as you read through it that there's mountain goats and so a mountain goat would look something like thank you See that? By the way, that's the Dead Sea behind you. That's not drinking water. Just in case you want to know, that's not drinking water. But in order for David to to be here, um, by the, these these goats are still roaming around. That's beautiful. They they walk up and they stand like they're like deer, and they, you could see them. They stand there, and so we were able to get a couple cool pictures. And so, but the other thing too within Engedi in that area, we see a freshwater pool. Thanks, David. Um, And right there. And so within this piece, you have this place where he could go and get fresh water. And this is a a place where David hung out and hid from Saul. And in all of this, and as he was there, he went into a cave one day, and he was hiding out, and Saul was in pursuit. And Saul had uh, one of those moments, like we all do, uh, where he had to use the restroom. And so one of the things he had to do is go and use the restroom. And I don't think it was a number one. I think it was a number two. Um, because if you're, it's a number one, you can just find the local tree that's there and go use it, right? So he had to go in and relieve himself. So he walks into the cave and he's doing his business. And uh, David's men say this, hey, listen, this is your time. He's distracted. He's not going to fight back. He's having a moment. And David, David goes. Well, I don't know that I'm going to take him out, right? And then his men even said, "This look, God has brought him into your hands. Now I want you to use your your mind, thought, in the way you would think, or let's just go with the way I think because it's easier that way. If my enemy's sitting there using the restroom and he's after me, guess what I'm doing right then? I'm taking him out. And so David goes, No, nope, I can't do that. And even David's closest men said, Take him out. God's delivered him into your hands." And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. So he goes over, and, and I'm not really sure how dark it is. It had to be pretty dark because he sneaks over to him, and all he does is he snips a little piece of his robe off. And he holds on to this and he goes, and he doesn't take any action. Saul finishes his business, walks out, and David calls out to him. In the Chad Ricks version, this is what he says. "Is man, what's wrong with you? Why are you trying to kill me? So he confronts Saul. He's says, I don't understand Why are you doing this? He goes, I've served you faithfully. I've done all these things. Why are you in pursuit of me? I am honoring you as our king. And see, in the whole time in David's heart, he's like, you know what? This is God's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. I'm going to let God deal with him. And yet everyone else said, no, this is your time, David. Take him out. You can become king. No. And so he presents this this piece of fabric to, to Saul and says, listen. I had my opportunity. I didn't even do it. And in this moment, we see this interaction between Saul and David that takes place that is very interesting. Saul's heart, go, in this particular moment, says, It is now that I know that your heart's after God. Now that I know that God's hand is on you. Now that I know that you're going to be king. And he makes David make a promise to him that basically says, You won't take out my family. So that his heirs continue to live. And so we see this story that there's 15 years of waiting before David ever becomes king. And within this 15 years, he has the opportunity to take out the very person that he needs to take out in order to be crowned king. And yet he chooses to wait even more. There's moments in our lives where we have to wait. We pull into the drive through at Chick-fil-A and the lines too long and we have to wait. And majority of us do what? Wait. And we go somewhere else. Or we get upset. Why is the line so long? How long does it really take to make a chicken sandwich? Or maybe there's something bigger Maybe we're right now in a marriage or in a relationship or we have kids or we have loved ones that are rebelling. That are turning away from God or turning away from us and we don't know what to do about it. Yet every bit of us wants to Trust God, and every bit of us wants to know that God has it under control, and yet we are sitting in a season of waiting, not knowing what to do, so we try to push, we try to manipulate, we try to control, we try to do all these things to turn it back to where we don't have to wait for that, inc- that, that outcome that we want, and yet in the midst of it, God says, I need you to wait. Maybe there's a career that you're after. Maybe there's something, a new job that you're wanting to do. Maybe there's something in your life, that next step that you're waiting for, and you're in this season of waiting, and you don't know what to do about it. And so as we look at David, I want us to think about this. In this story, we see that David had an opportunity to take matters into his own hands, And try to control the situation and move things forward faster if he would just take matters into his own hands. And yet, in this season, David was bold enough to wait on God to move. And for me, it's one of the hardest things to do. To know when it's time to, to actually take steps and push forward. And when it's just, you know what, God says, you know what, it's not time yet. You need to wait. Because I hate waiting. If you don't believe me, watch what happens when I'm trying to get my kids ready for school in the morning. By the way, for all you single parents out there, I have a newfound respect for you. And here's why. Julie left me last weekend to go see her parents. That left word is hard. She didn't leave me for good. She went to visit her parents. She came back. So, but I had five days with kids. And some of you're like Chad. It's not so bad. Your parents live in town. No, they left for the weekend. But I but he's sitting there waiting, being patient for for kids to get in the shower, for kids to do what they need to do, so we can do go and, and I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I look at how long I had to wait for Lightpoint Church to come into existence. Ten years of of praying and waiting. Ten years of praying and waiting. Wanting to move forward. One time I called a buddy up and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. He said, Chad, how old are your kids? I said, "Uh, one, one, three, and five. He said, please don't do it. You'll kill your wife. (laughs) Best advice I ever got. And so this season of waiting, we want to move forward. We want to take things in our, own mat, in our own hands. And so the question becomes this, what do I do in this season of waiting? How do I handle it? What do I do with it? What's, what's my next step? Because I don't like waiting for what's next. And I have a God that can fix it, I know, in an instant, but he hasn't yet. I have a God that can rescue and bring us out of this, but he hasn't yet. Why? Why? He could fix this problem. Why, hadn't he done that? Why hasn't he done it yet? And, and as we move into what we're going to talk about today, here's what I want you to think about. In the midst of all of this, in the season of waiting, God is doing something in your heart. God is doing something in you that you have to sit in a season of waiting to understand. He's changing something in you so that you can better handle what he has for you. And as much as we think that, oh, I'm ready for what you got for me, God, he sits there and says, I love you enough to know that you're not ready and I need you to wait. Because I'm going to start to do a work in you that prepares you for what I have for you. And we see that with David. He was doing a work in David to prepare him for what he has for him, to be king of Israel. And so we go to this. What do I need to do in my season of waiting? The first thing I need to do is I need to keep, we need to keep our emotions under control. How many of us believe or think that our emotions can control us? When we allow our emotions to control us, something goes wrong. How many of us believe or think that we can actually have control over our emotions? We can. We, we just, your emotions, that, that, that is not what controls you. We let it. But it doesn't have to be that way. And so in the midst of waiting, in the midst of uncertainty, we come to a point where we allow our emotions to get the best of us. We allow anxiety to take over. We allow depression to take over. We allow all these different emotions, emotions, anger, to take a hold of us and bring us down. Now, there's a mental health side to things, and I get that, right? I understand the, 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 the depression because of a chemical imbalance or something like that, but I'm talking about the, the, the light depression, the sadness that we go through, where we allow that particular emotion to trap us and to keep us from moving forward. The other one is this, is I'm so anxious for what God has for me that I want to control what goes on, so what happens is, is I let that anxiousness or that, that desire not to wait take over me and so I just start pushing forward. And I forget about everybody around me and I just start going after what I wanna I want and forget what God wants. And so we see this piece in first Samuel twenty four three. It reads this and he came to the sheep's folds, by the way. By the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And I showed you the image of, of en Getty and, and the, the mountainside and all that's going on there. And so in this view, in one of those sides is one of the caves that, that David was in hiding and one of the ones that Saul went into. And so in this midst, as David's sitting in there and he sees Saul come in and he says, I have my opportunity. It would have been very easy for David to allow that emotion of, oh, I can take him out to, to overwhelm him and to, to him to act on it. And yet David... Didn't allow that particular emotion to take control. Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs sixteen thirty two reads this: "Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city." Now I want to, I want you to understand this word spirit. Spirit. When we look at the Hebrew, it goes down, and as we unpack it, the Hebrew word, the meaning behind it, is emotion. A seat of emotion. So when we read in Proverbs where it talks about, um, and he who rules his spirit, we're talking about those that take control of their own emotions. They don't allow their emotions to take them, over them. Proverbs 29 and 11 reads this, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. In other words, another Hebrew word meaning or has the meaning of emotion. And he says this, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a, my, a wise man quietly holds it back. There's a piece in Proverbs where the, when, when we read this particular thing that helps guides us, that God's words given to us that says we have the ability to control our emotions, to get our emotions in check. And then one of the things that I've found is that with this is not that we invalidate our emotions or not that we just tell our emotions they're not worth having because we, our emotions are God-given. But what happens is, is we have our emotions and we let our emotions come and we, let them, we don't hold them back, but what we do is we don't let them control us. We see the difference. In other words, if you feel like crying in this season of waiting, crying, cry. Don't hold back. If you get angry... Get angry in a good way, not in a bad way. Don't take your anger out on somebody. But it's okay to be angry. Go to God with that anger. It's okay to have the emotions that we have, but it's what we do with them. Do we let them control our actions or do we control those emotions? And we read in Proverbs that those that are wise learn how to control Those emotions. So that's the first thing I do in the seasons of waiting, is I keep my emotions under control. The second thing is this. I listen to the right people. And this is so important in life, is is the people we surround ourselves with. And that's why here we believe so much in life groups. That's why it's so important to get connected with people. Get connected with the right people that speak life into you. That speak wisdom into you that are in line with God's word, that are going to guide you and direct you, that challenge you, that speak truth to you. And we see this in First Samuel 24, 4. And this is after Saul went in, obviously, to do his business. And we see that this is what happens. And the men of David said to him, <clears throat> Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will, give you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Notice he didn't take him out. He just cut a corner off. He didn't take full out, he didn't let that emotion of uh, that excitement of being able to take out his enemy overwhelm him. There's there's that flight and that fight that comes into us. That's God given. See, what so many of us forget or we, we fail to realize is that fight or flight that comes into us, that over, that comes that shoots into our brain when we're not sure about something, when, when fear comes in, when, when something we don't like comes into our lives, we either choose to fight against it or we choose to run. We, we choose to fight or fight. And what I love about this story is in this God-given piece of, of what David's wrestling with is he chooses neither one of them. He chooses to go to the middle and stay calm. And do we realize that in our lives we can choose that middle piece? We don't have to fight all the time and we don't have to run from something, but we can stay calm in it. And yet David was getting this this advice from his buddies that said, hey, he's given it into your hands and he didn't overreact. He didn't let the emotion of wanting to fight take over him because David, if we know anything, was a fighter. He didn't back down from anybody. He was willing to go to battle. He's willing to take out the enemy. Yet in this moment, he chose that middle piece to neither run or fight. He didn't listen to the men that were surrounding him for good reason. Because he knew in his heart that that's not what God wanted. So we have to surround ourselves with people that love God more than anything. That love God more than they love us. They love God more than they they want something great for our future. They love God and they want to be in line with what God wants, not necessarily what's best for us or what they think's best for us. And so we need to listen to the right people. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. Reads this. And this is what's very interesting in this story, is as David's going through this piece, this is the piece that I think that I believe was going through David's mind, and it reads this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, if I'm not listening to the right people, and if I'm not in tune to what God has to say and His thoughts being better than anything else, and His ways better than anything else, then it's very easy for me to allow my emotions to control me, for me to overreact in the season of waiting. So in the season of waiting, I need to keep my emotions under control. I need to find the right people to listen to. And then in 1 Samuel 24, 6 to 7, it reads this. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to, and by the way, he is David. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. There are in life, in our season of waiting in every other season, but especially in our season of waiting when we want to take things into our own hands and we don't want to wait, we need to realize that our number one goal in life is how do we honor God? How do we bring honor to our Father in heaven? That should be our number one goal in life. When I take matters into my own hands and I do what I want to do and I push God to the wayside and I tell Him, I've got this. I am not honoring him. And in this season of David waiting to become king, he chose to honor his God by not acting and taking out Saul. And he goes straight to the point of saying, listen, this is God's anointed. I'm not doing anything about it. God's got to deal with it. There comes that point in our lives. There comes that moment in our life where we just don't know what to do. That season of waiting where we don't know what that next step is and we're just waiting and we're not uncomfortable and we want to see movement and we want to see something take place. That uneasiness comes in, that discontent comes in and, and we're just not sure what God wants and we feel like, why am I waiting for this particular piece when there's all these different opportunities that come up. And yet God sometimes says, listen, all I need is for you to honor me and sit in the season of waiting. Recognize that I'm God and I have things under control. and Just trust me. And So many times we fail to honor God by simply trusting our future in his hands. And in this particular, in this story, we get to see how David chooses to honor God by not only not killing Saul. And now this is a man that's gone after David multiple times. And I'm sorry, but if somebody's hurt me multiple times and tried to kill me, the last wording I'm going to use is that must be God's anointed. Sorry. That's a jerk. I don't know. They're so far from God. God would be lucky to have me take them out. Think about it. Because I don't think we grasp what David did here. Think of that, that person that's hurt you, that's wounded you, that's, that's getting in your way, or that's, that's, that's holding you back, that's, that's saying things to you, that's causing you from, from moving forward, that's causing, or that's, that's keeping, that's in your way of getting what you want, and they're not nice to you, or they're not, they're not, uh, who you think God, God would want in that position. And yet we, in this story, we see David refer to this man as God's anointed. That does not register with me. Yet in the midst of it, in my season of waiting, am I more worried about what I want? Am I more worried about honoring my God in heaven? In my, in my season of waiting, I need to keep honoring Him. And lastly, as I'm, as I'm in this waiting, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I'm, I'm keeping my emotions under control. I'm listening to the right people and I'm honoring God. The best thing that I can do is focus on my current challenges. If you ever try to figure out how to move? Like, I want to I be five steps ahead. And so we start focusing there rather than on the here and now. And sometimes we just need to focus in on our current challenges, the ones that are right in front of us. And in the season of waiting, God lays out this next step for you, and you just need to step into it. You need to do that. And in this, we see what David does. First Samuel 4, 9 to 11, he reads this. And David said to Saul, so David comes out of the cave after Saul's walked out, and David comes out, and he says to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? See, Saul was listening to the wrong people, too. Saul was listening to people and says, oh, look at how much praise David's getting. You need to take care of him. You need, he's after you. He wants to take you out. And yet in this we see, and David calls out. He's right there in the moment. He doesn't wait. He doesn't put it off. He follows Saul out of the cave and he calls him out. Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord. Notice the lowercase L. My Lord, meaning him. For he is the Lord's uppercase L. He is God's anointed. See, my father. By the way, Saul was David's father-in-law. See, my father. See the corner of your robe in, in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, You may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you haunt my life to take it. In this particular piece, we see David. In this story, we see David focusing on the current piece that's right in front of him. He focuses right there in the moment of addressing what's going on. He doesn't push it off. He doesn't wait for another opportunity to address Saul. He goes right there. And then this season of waiting, what well, that next step that God's asking you to take, that next thing that God's asking you to do, that next piece that God's saying, I need you to do this, Chad. And whether it works out good or bad, I need you to do this. And here's my next step, and you guys can hold me accountable. I'm putting off a phone call. Don't know why. Just putting off a phone call. There's a building I need to call about. And I'm putting it off. Sam. Scared to death. Numbers don't add up in my mind. And yet every time I drive by this place, God says, why don't you call? And I come up with every excuse possible. Parking doesn't look big enough, God. We can't go there. He goes, I didn't ask you how the parking was. I asked you to make a phone call. God, we don't have the funds for it right now. You've blessed us, but the numbers aren't up there right as what they need to be. Chad, do you not get it? I haven't asked you about the numbers. I asked you to make a phone call. You see where I'm going with this? That next thing that he's asking you to do, are you doing it? Are you too busy worried about here rather than here? David could have very easily let Saul go off. Could have very easily let Saul go off, get away, and then had another opportunity to bring that strip to him and say, hey, listen, look what happened. He didn't wait. He went and addressed what was right in front of him. In his season of waiting, he took that next step, and he did exactly, focused on that next challenge there, which was addressing the man that was trying to take him out. In the midst of it, we see God do an amazing thing. And in Matthew 6, to 34, this has become one of the verses that I need to remind myself of all the time. And it reads this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Are you in a season of waiting? Are you waiting for God to do something, to change something? To bring something about, are you waiting for that next big thing to come into your life? And you're sitting there wanting to know what to do. In your season of waiting, be bold. Be bold enough to go to your God. To not let your emotions keep you, that fear keep you. Don't let it do. Don't let fear keep you from doing what God's asking that next thing. Make sure you're paying attention or listening to the right people around you that are in line with God. Keep honoring Him in all that you do. And whatever that next step is, whatever that next thing He's wanting you to do, do it. So as I confess to you my issue, here's my promise to you is I'll make a phone call this week. what's God telling you to do in your season of waiting? What's he asking that next step for you to do? If you're not sure about it, bring somebody close to you and talk to them. And if you're not sure about it, ask, is this going to honor my God by doing it? And if it's not, maybe it's not the right thing to do. But in this season of waiting, be bold enough to sit there in this moment And trust God for what He has for you. Because He's doing something in your heart to prepare you for what He has for you. And sometimes the steps come quick and sometimes they come slow. But be bold enough to take that step in the season of waiting. And if you don't believe me that there are certain times that God just does some amazing things with waiting, let's look at a couple passages. And I just want you to listen. Isaiah 30, 18 reads this. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Another one. Isaiah 40, 30-31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And lastly, Isaiah 64, 3-4, it reads this. When you did awesome things that we did not look for. Isn't it amazing when he does things we aren't don't, we don't, expecting? He shows up in ways we weren't anticipating. And yet he does some things when we're not looking for it. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. In other words, there's nothing that compares to you, God. Nothing that brings about what you bring about. And yet it says this. Who acts for those who wait for him. God does some amazing things when we wait.